Section 87 of The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Novella Serena. The Man Who Laughs by Victor Hugo. Part 2. Book the Seventh. Chapter 2. The resemblance of a palace to a wood. In palaces after the Italian fashion, and Corleone Lodge was one, there were very few doors, but abundance of tapestry screens and curtained doorways. In every palace of that date there was a wonderful labyrinth of chambers and corridors, where luxury ran riot, gilding, marble, carved wainscoting, eastern silks, nooks, and corners, some secret and dark as night, others light and pleasant as the day. There were attics, richly and brightly furnished, burnished recesses shining with Dutch tiles and Portuguese azulejos. The tops of the high windows were converted into small rooms and glass attics, forming pretty habitable lanterns. The thickness of the walls was such that there were rooms within them, here and there were closets nominally wardrobes they were called the little rooms it was within them that evil deeds were hatched when a duke of guise had to be killed the pretty president of silvacan abducted or the cries of little girls brought thither by label smothered such places were convenient for the purpose they were labyrinthine chambers, impracticable to a stranger, scenes of abductions, unknown depths, receptacles of mysterious disappearances. In those elegant caverns, princes and lords stored their plunder. In such a place, the Comte de Chalorais hid Madame Corchon, the wife of the clerk of the Privy Council, Monsieur de Montulet, the daughter of the Haudry, the farm of La Croix saint lenfroy the Prince de Conti, the two beautiful baker-women of Lille-Adam, the Duke of Buckingham, poor Pennywell, etc. The deeds done there were such as were designated by the Roman law as committed vi clam et precario, by force, in secret, and for a short time. Once in, an occupant remained there till the master of the house decreed his or her release. They were gilded oubliettes, savouring both of the cloister and the harem. Their staircases twisted, turned, ascended, and descended, a zigzag of rooms, one running into another, led back to the starting point. A gallery terminated into an oratory, a confessional was grafted on to an alcove. Perhaps the architects of the little rooms, building for royalty and aristocracy, took as models the ramifications of coral beds and the openings in a sponge. The branches became a labyrinth. Pictures, turning on false panels, were exits and entrances. They were full of stage contrivances, and no wonder, considering the dramas that were played there. The floors of these hives reached from the cellars to the attics. Quaint madripoor inlaying every palace, from Versailles downwards, like cells of pygmies in dwelling-places of titans, passages, niches, alcoves, and secret recesses, all sorts of holes and corners in which was stored away the meanness of the great. 
these winding and narrow passages recalled games blindfolded eyes hands feeling in the dark suppressed laughter blind man's bluff hide and seek while at the same time they suggested memories of the atrides of the plantagenets of the medicis the brutal knights of else of rizzio of Maldadeschi, of naked swords pursuing the fugitive flying from room to room the ancients too had mysterious retreats of the same kind in which luxury was adapted to enormities the pattern had been preserved underground in some sepulchres in egypt notably the tomb of king semeticus discovered by pasalacqua the ancient poets have recorded the horrors of these suspicious buildings error circumflexis locus implicitos giris gwynplaine was in the little rooms of corleone lodge he was burning to be off to get outside to see dea again the maze of passages and alcoves with secret and bewildering doors checked and retarded his progress he strove to run he was obliged to wander he thought that he had but one door to thrust open while he had a skein of doors to unravel to one room succeeded another then a crossway with rooms on every side not a living creature was to be seen he listened not a sound at times he thought that he must be returning towards his starting-point then that he saw some one approaching it was no one it was only the reflection of himself in a mirror dressed as a nobleman that he impossible then he recognized himself but not at once he explored every passage that he came to he examined the quaint arrangements of the rambling building and their yet quainter fittings here a cabinet painted and carved in a sentimental but vicious style there an equivocal-looking chapel studded with enamels and mother-of-pearl with miniatures on ivory wrought out in relief like those on old-fashioned snuff-boxes there one of those pretty florentine retreats adapted to the hypochondriasis of women and even then called boudoirs everywhere on the ceilings on the walls and on the very floors were representations in velvet or in metal of birds of trees of luxuriant vegetation picked out in reliefs of lace-work tables covered with jet carvings representing warriors queens and tritons armed with the scaly terminations of a hydra cut crystals combining prismatic effects with those of reflection mirrors repeated the light of precious stones and sparkles glittered in the darkest corners it was impossible to guess whether those many-sided shining surfaces where emerald green mingled with the golden hues of the rising sun were floated a glimmer of ever-varying colours like those on a pigeon's neck were miniature mirrors or enormous barrels everywhere was magnificence at once refined and stupendous if it was not the most diminutive of palaces it was the most gigantic of jewel-cases a house for mab or a jewel for geo gwynplaine sought an exit he could not find one impossible to make out his way there is nothing so confusing as wealth seen for the first time moreover this was a labyrinth at each step he was stopped by some magnificent object which appeared to retard his exit and to be unwilling to let him pass he was encompassed by a net of wonders he felt himself bound and held back what a horrible palace he thought restless he wandered through the maze asking himself what it all meant whether he was in prison chafing thirsting for the fresh air he repeated dea 
Dea, as if that word was the thread of the labyrinth, and must be held unbroken to guide him out of it. Now and then he shouted, Ho! Any one there? No one answered. The rooms never came to an end. All was deserted, silent, splendid, sinister. It realized the fables of enchanted castles. Hidden pipes of hot air maintained a summer temperature in the building. It was as if some magician had caught up the month of June and imprisoned it in a labyrinth. There were pleasant odors now and then, and he crossed currents of perfume, as though passing by invisible flowers. It was warm, carpets everywhere. One might have walked about there, unclothed. Gwynplaine looked out of the windows. The view from each one was different. From one he beheld gardens, sparkling with the freshness of a spring morning. From another, a plot decked with statues. From the third, a patio in the Spanish style, a little square, flagged, mouldy, and cold. At times he saw a river. It was the Thames. Sometimes a great tower. It was Windsor. It was still so early that there were no signs of life without. He stood still and listened. "'Oh, I will get out of this place,' said he. "'I will return to Dea. They shall not keep me here by force. Woe to him who bars my exit! What is that great tower yonder? If there was a giant, a hellhound, a minotaur to keep the gate of this enchanted palace, I would annihilate him. If an army, I would exterminate it. Dea! Dea!' Suddenly he heard a gentle noise, very faint. It was like dropping water. He was in a dark, narrow passage, closed, some few paces further on, by a curtain. He advanced to the curtain, pushed it aside, entered. He leaped before he looked. End of section 87 Recording by Novella Serena